And we are done the introductory material. We're actually beginning to look at the Beatitudes themselves. Tonight is the first Beatitude. Just a reminder that the Beatitudes are not a way to obtain blessing, but rather a declaration of those who are blessed. Blessedness does not mean happiness. Blessedness is a state of favor with God. And blessedness stands in opposition to being cursed. All right, so... On the one hand, you have blessings. On the other hand, you have cursings. And this describes those who are blessed and what the nature of that blessing consists of. And so tonight, we look at the first one. And our theme is, the beggarly in spirit are blessed because they belong to the kingdom of heaven. The verse is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our game plan for the next number of nights is going to be spending one night on each beatitude. And so tonight it's blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The state of blessedness depicted in this verse is to be a possessor of the kingdom of heaven. That is the way in which they are blessed. They have the kingdom of heaven. So who is the one who possesses the kingdom of heaven? Answer, the one who is beggarly in spirit. So tonight we want to look at what it means to be beggarly in spirit. There are a number of different passages we could go to to unpack that particular phrase. But I thought the one that would be most helpful and uh, limit it to just one section, would be the parable that Jesus told. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, and we are told what is the purpose of the parable, what we are to learn from it. The parable is directed to those who are self-righteous. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he, that is Jesus, also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves as opposed to trusting in God to make them righteous. They trusted, they were confident in their own righteousness that they would be acceptable to God. They viewed themselves as good enough, as holy enough, as acceptable enough, of being worthy of being accepted by God. This parable is directed towards those people. This parable introduces us to two different individuals. The one is a Pharisee, Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and one is a tax collector or a tax gatherer. Both go into the temple for the same reason. Both go into the temple to pray. The prayer of the self-righteous, the one who was not beggarly in spirit. We are to see that the Pharisees, as a whole, tended not to be 
beggarly in spirit. They viewed themselves as self-righteous, as being accepted of God because of their own personal goodness. So notice the Pharisee. B. The Pharisee is a caricature of one who is blatantly self-reliant and convinced of his own righteousness. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. I thank thee, God, that I am not like other people. He was thankful that he was different from the rest. That he was a cut above, as it were. And the Pharisee was one who was self-righteous even in his deportment. For notice in verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood and was praying. Now, if that's all that we had in this text, we could easily see that as just the normative situation that was had in the temple. That's what people did. They stood to pray. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 says, When you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets, corners, in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Jesus constantly says to the Pharisees that they have their reward in full. They're paid off in this life, not in the life to come, because they are doing these things to be seen of men. Next, it says, though he professes to be praying to God, he is in actuality doing nothing more than speaking to himself. His prayer is going nowhere. The Pharisee stood and was thus praying to himself. I had to work with my kids on their English. And they would, many times, when referring to praying silently, would say, I'm going to pray to myself. I'd say, no, 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 no. You're going to pray to God, just not audibly. You're not praying to yourself. Praying to yourself does not mean praying inaudibly. He wasn't doing any more than talking to himself. His prayers weren't ascending up into heaven. God was not receiving this prayer. God was not pleased with this prayer. It makes it very clear at the end here that God finds this prayer to be unacceptable. He's not truly praying to God. His thankfulness is not genuine. He's not really thanking God that he's not like other men. He's saying to God, and God is not listening, you know, God, I'm not like other people. And I'm very thankful I'm not. But he in no wise is trusting in God. The Pharisee is self-righteous in two ways. First, the Pharisee views himself as righteous because of what he does not do. Okay, Sins of commission. He says, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Okay, So he's thankful he's not like that poor schmuck over here. 
Okay, he's, he's not like him. Okay, he's the scum of the earth. Boy, oh God, <laughs> thanks, thanks, I'm nothing like him. He has a comparative righteousness. The Pharisee would view other people, as the introduction says, with contempt. They viewed themselves as more holy. Okay, And you've heard the, the term holier than thou. A person who looks at others and says, I'm a cut above. I'm not like them. I'm, I'm holier than what they are. And he said, I don't swindle. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. Now, probably, all those things would have been true in an external way. And if you, remind, if you remember when I was giving this introductory material, I emphasized that the righteousness of the Pharisees was external. It was not internal. It didn't come from the heart. It was, it was outwardly. So it is probably true that he never went to bed with somebody. It's probably true that in all his business dealings, he was fair. It is probably true that he tried to exercise justice whenever possible. But Jesus carried all these things much further, if you remember, and said, if a man looks upon a woman to lust in his own heart, he has committed adultery with her already. That's what the Pharisee wasn't willing to admit. That's what he wasn't willing to uphold to. That's the standard that he failed in. And he was blind to it. He didn't see it. He thought because he hadn't done some of these external things, that meant his heart was right. It was not. Secondly, the Pharisee views himself as righteous because of what he does. Commission, he says, I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all I get. So, good stuff. He prays and goes without food twice a week and he pays tithes, 10% of everything he gets. And Jesus says, concerning the, the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, uh, you tithe uh, the coming." Uh, Jesus says, the Pharisees went so far as they tithed every aspect of the produce of their garden. Uh, they were careful if they got, uh, you know, ten tomatoes, that uh, they gave one of them to the Lord. They, they were meticulous in their tithing. So all of those things probably are true. He probably did give a tithe of everything. But then notice the prayer of the one who's beggarly in spirit. The collector, tax collector was beggarly in his demeanor, but the tax collector standing some distance away. And so there's where we see the comparison to the Pharisees who's standing and this tax collector that's standing some distance away. And then the question is, some distance away from what? And we might assume it's the Pharisee that he's standing some distance away from him. Most of the commentators say probably he was standing um, uh, some distance away from the altar, the, the pinnacle of the of the, uh, the the temple area. That that the Pharisee would have been front and center. 
You know, he'd been down here praying where everybody could see him. And the Pharisees, I mean, the, 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 this poor tax collector staying away in the back where nobody could see him. Although the, tax the, although the Pharisee knows that he's there. And he's thankful he's not like that guy standing in the back. The tax collector was praying to God. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He's not praying to himself, he's praying to God. But in his humility, in his sense of self-worth, he's not even able to look up. Uh, have you ever encountered someone that was so embarrassed, so ashamed, that they couldn't look you in the eye? You know, that, that uh, when you're in their presence, they, 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 they quickly they look down. They, they're embarrassed. This tax collector was too embarrassed to even lift his eyes to heaven. The tax collector was remorseful for his sinful behavior. He was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast. Beating his breast. Uh, an outward display of contriteness. And saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector saw himself as an unworthy of God's help, but in need of God's help. He said that he was a sinner. He didn't talk about all the good he did. I'm sure this guy didn't do just evil. I'm sure there must have been one or two good things that he had done somewhere in his life. But he mentions none of them. He mentions none of the good that he had done. He mentions none of the evil that he refrained from. Not a hint of it. All he does is come before God and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And he asks God to be merciful to him. If you remember, I always make a big distinction between grace and mercy. Grace is unmerited favor, period. Mercy is to have pity or compassion on someone. So, my illustration that I use every time so that you're going to get this, that I do it enough. So, grace is, if I were to give everybody here tonight a hundred bucks, that would be gracious because you didn't earn it. If I gave because I knew somebody was particularly poor tonight and didn't know where their next meal came from and I come up and I slip them a hundred dollars, that's grace because they didn't earn it, but it's mercy because it's motivated by compassion because of the plight that they're in. This tax collector says, I'm in misery. He's beating his breast. He's distraught. He is truly beggarly in spirit. He's like the person on the side of the road that's begging Jesus to heal him. The, the blind man who's begging. The blind Bartimaeus. Or the leper that's begging. Here is a person begging. He's not a leper. He's not blind, but he's a sinner. And you see, he has a need every bit as much as the blind man 
or the leper because he can't do a thing about it. There is no way to make himself righteous. Just like the blind man can't make himself see, and just like the leper can't make himself clean, this tax collector recognizes he can't make himself holy. And so he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice the different outcomes. The tax collector is declared righteous. Luke 18, 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Justified. That is a very important word. To be justified means to be declared righteous. God declared that sinner a righteous person. His prayer was heard. His prayer was answered. He went down and God said of him, he is righteous. Not on his own, not his own merit, but because of what God would do for him in showing him mercy and grace. The Pharisee is declared not to be righteous. I tell you, this man went down his house justified rather than the other. God was not impressed. God was not convinced. God was not sold. God did not say, you know, you're right. Uh, You didn't do anything wrong. You get an A+. No. Jesus said that man wasn't declared righteous by God. That man wasn't acceptable. That man wasn't good enough. At the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus said these words that just were a shock to everyone that heard them. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're more righteous than these guys are, there's no way you're getting to heaven, Jesus said. And they were amazed. Because everyone asked the question, how could you be more righteous than they were? How was that possible? To be more righteous than the Pharisees? Well, it's to have God's righteousness. God's righteousness imputed to us. See, the one who is proud will be brought low. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. The one who is beggarly in spirit will be accepted. But he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Just to give you one more example, although there are many in the scriptures, the message to the church at Laodicea is a message to be beggarly. The Laodiceans view themselves as selfish, self-sufficient with no need of God. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. These people didn't see that they were in need of God. The Laodicean church was an incredibly wealthy church. Uh, They became wealthy because that area produced an eye salve that was unique to the area. And it was the going thing in the commerce of its day. That if you had any eye problem, you wanted to have eye salve 
from Laodicea. And this little cottage industry made that area an incredibly wealthy part of the world. And so the words in Revelation chapter 3.17, you do not know that you are wretched and more miserable and poor, and then these words, and blind, which to the church of Laodicea, who produced this ISAB, was quite the statement. You don't know. You don't realize how poor, how wretched, how miserable, blind, and naked you are. They view themselves as rich. They've got, they've got the best of clothes. They didn't realize the need that they possessed. They weren't beggarly. They were self-sufficient. See, they need to come to God so that he will supply what they have need of. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. When he says buy this, it doesn't mean the literal sense. We don't buy God's grace. It's saying, you sell ISAV. I'm telling you where you need to go for ISAV. That's to me. That's to me. But they didn't see their need. The whole point of the first beatitude is blessed are those who see their need. Blessed are those who don't rely upon their own self-righteousness. Blessed are those who understand that they are sinners. Blessed are those who come to God and to Him alone for the forgiveness of sins. To them belongs the kingdom of heaven. That's where it starts. That's why it's the first beatitude. It's foundational. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, somewhere in your life, you came to realize this truth. You came to realize that your self-righteousness wasn't enough. Your good deeds didn't cut it. Your lifestyle, no matter how good or bad, wasn't enough to make you acceptable to God. And uh, as you read about the scribe, as you read about this Pharisee, you wonder if anybody could really ever go that, that far, that extent. And then I found this. Tolstoy wrote with a sense of morality, but the morality was self-centered, not God-centered. Historian Paul Johnson provides us with the following excerpt from Tolstoy's diary. Okay, uh, Tolstoy, the individual that, war, that wrote The War and Peace and many other things. Imagine writing this in your diary. Quote, Read a work on the literary characterization of genius today, and this awoke in me a conviction. Okay, so, so, he write, so he reads about what somebody thinks genius is. And he said, you know, after I read that, this is what I thought. This awoke in me the conviction that I am a remarkable man, both in regards to capacity and eagerness to work. I have not yet met a single man who is as morally as good as I. I do not remember an instance in my life when I was not attracted to what is good and was not ready to sacrifice anything to it. Wow. Talk about being self-righteous. Okay? That, that's, that's the extreme. That's, that's 
out there, and I think very few people are there. But D, a right relationship to God begins with being beggarly in spirit. Paul viewed himself as the chief of sinners. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Stop for a moment. I, I, I wouldn't be as surprised if Paul would have written, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I was foremost of all. Because he had persecuted the church. And that was heavy on his heart and mind. Mentions that in a number, number of places. But Paul wasn't persecuted in the church anymore. In fact, he was being persecuted. But Paul doesn't say, I was the chief of sinners. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Paul was saying when he wrote 1 Timothy, I don't know of anyone that is more sinful than I. What a different comparison. The Pharisee saying, I'm glad I'm not like this publican over here. And Paul saying, I don't know anyone more sinful than I. That's how he viewed himself. That's how beggarly he was in his spirit. That's how needy he was. This morning, I said that Paul experienced depression. Paul experienced fear. Paul experienced anxiety. And then I said, you know, Paul was sinful. Paul was very aware of his sinful conduct. Doubt if he ever committed adultery outwardly. Doubt if he ever swindled anyone outwardly. But he realized what was required in the inside. And notice how different Paul is after his conversion as opposed to prior to his conversion. In Philippians, we have a testimony of how Paul viewed himself before he met Christ. Philippians 3, 5, and 6. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Before, Paul said, I viewed myself as completely faultless. I viewed myself as holy. I viewed myself as righteous. I viewed myself as the epitome of what it means to be a dedicated, faithful adherer to God. But he came to realize that all those things, later in Philippians he says, were but dung. I count them but dung. Loss for Christ. They didn't profit me anything. It was only by faith in Jesus Christ that his sins were forgiven. 
I don't know many people that really think they're perfect. I suppose they're out there, but I don't know many. But I know a whole lot of people that think they're good enough to go to heaven. Basically, because they think God grades on a curve. And though they don't really say it, in actuality, they are comparing themselves to the majority and saying, you know, I'm better than most. I don't do this, I don't do that. I know people who do this, I know people who do that. I'm basically a good person. And there are a whole lot of people worse than I. That's self-righteousness. That's self-justification. That is prideful, boastful, and one who does not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The beggarly in spirit is one who is not comparing themselves to others in a superior sense, but rather is willing to identify with others and acknowledge that I'm just as sinful as everyone else, because I am capable of. Maybe I haven't done some of the external things, but boy, internally, internally, my heart so often longs after the wrong thing. So often, the motivation isn't pure. It isn't right. It isn't holy. And a recognition, but by the grace of God, I could be in the very same boat as virtually anyone. But God really has kept us from some things. But we desperately need the forgiveness of God. Blessed are those who are beggarly in spirit. Let's pray.